I'm talking to journalist Sherry Robinson. Why don't we let people know right away, you write for various papers, and give us a little idea of your background before we talk. I've been a journalist in New Mexico for the most part since 1975. And the first paper to give me a job was the Gallup Independent. Then I worked for other papers, including the the Journal and the and the Tribune, and I also did a lot of freelancing. I've been freelancing since 2000, but somewhere in there I started working for the Independent again, covering the legislature, and now almost all the work I do is, is for the Independent. So I started my career with them, and I'm finishing my career with them. <laughs> And that's where I see you up at the legislature because you're going around and finding out stories. Do you have other areas that you focus on? Well, when I'm at the legislature, I'm I'm working for the independent. And what happens is the the media who cover the legislature, it's all the the big organizations, mostly from Albuquerque and, and Santa Fe. And they cover it from an urban perspective. Gallup wanted something of interest to their readers. And so I follow Native American issues. I follow rural issues, water, economic development, agriculture, things like that. And what I do is much different from what most of the other reporters are doing up there. Is it different in style or in content as well as in focus? Yeah, I mean, it's a much different audience. And I come from the perspective that information is money, and so I try to provide them the best and the most useful information I can and keep them up to speed about what their what their legislators are doing and Santa Fe tends to be kind of a a little world to itself and so I have to what I call translating I have to translate legislation and I have to translate lawmakers sometimes into into language that regular people can understand (laughs) which is fun actually right it it is (laughs) It is. Okay, so let's talk about the story that you brought out on Facebook. You were doing a story about Gallup Hospital. I have been covering for some time a nonprofit hospital. Gallup has two hospitals. It has an Indian hospital under IHS, and then it's got Rehoboth McKinley Christian Hospital, which is a nonprofit, and I've been covering that hospital for a while. It's had a lot of problems. The CEO was very controversial. The the turnover was enormous. The internal culture was was oppressive, and also there were financial irregularities. And so, I've been a business reporter in the past. I'm not shy about wading into numbers. And then I started getting started getting phone calls from employees who 
had to be off the record because they would be fired for speaking to me. Some of them were on the record because they had been forced out or fired or resigned in anger and they were they were on the record. So anyway, this hospital was in a lot of difficulty and then all it took was the COVID-19 crisis to blow everything up. And so the CEO had done nothing to prepare them for the oncoming COVID. He minimized the threat, and so that left the chief medical officer and a handful of doctors and nurses to scramble, come up with enough PPE and and to cobble together a handful of of really old ventilators and get them working. And he wasn't even around. I mean, he he just wasn't there. And then he, as the crisis heated up, and, and of course we all know now that Gallup has been ground zero for COVID in New Mexico, he dismissed 17 contract nurses. And these were... These were specialized nurses. They were ICU nurses. They were med surge. They were other specialty nurses. And you can't just find those people. And also, because of this crisis, they're in great demand. So once he dismissed them, there was no getting them back. And the whole hospital was in an uproar. So at that point, every... Every single doctor in the hospital signed a statement of no confidence and demanded that the board fire him. When the board didn't fire him, they held a protest across the street from the hospital. And so here's one of those, one of those odd moments where as a journalist I had to, I had to make a decision I'm 73, so I'm I'm in the at-risk category. Do I want to go to Gallup right across the street from the hospital that's dealing with all of this stuff and and cover the story? And the answer was yes. Um, yes, I did want to go to Gallup and <laughs> and cover the story. And so yeah, I just I thought about it and I thought, you know. Nobody's, nobody else is going to cover this story like I'm going to cover it. And so I, I went, I drove over, I spent several hours at the protest with my, with my mask on, talking to people. And I'm, I'm glad I went because I got to meet face to face a number of the people I'd been talking to on the phone. But anyway, and then because they had, I mean, what other hospital has a protest of its healthcare professionals in the middle of a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So that brought Gallup to the attention of the big media, the outside media. And so they came and everybody gave it a few hours of their time. And then as big media do, they leave. And that leaves small media, us, the Gallup Independent, to 
continue to report as, as we have before. So anyway, the board, the board gave him 30 days. He had that, he, he had an out in his contract that if there were problems, he had 30 days to correct them. And nobody expected him to be able to fix what was wrong in 30 days. And then somewhere in there, I won uh, first place for in-depth coverage from New Mexico Press Women and the Independent wrote a story about it. And so then the uh, the CEO, the uh, the word, I guess we would use the word embattled, and the embattled CEO takes out a full-page ad in a competing newspaper to trash me, call my work, fake news, trash the independent, trash the publisher, and then about five days later, he was fired and nobody's heard anything from him since then. So anyway, and this whole time, he's done this before. He's called my coverage fake news from the outset. And I'm using, I'm, I'm, I'm using documents that the hospital files with the IRS. I'm using information from state auditor's office. I had interviews with people on the inside with former officers, people who who were very knowledgeable about what was going on and and also what's proper and what's improper inside a hospital. But he's he's calling it fake news like I had just made this up and so needless to say I I get really cranky when I hear that word, those words fake news and I guess maybe there's some fake news out there, but by and large, the people in my profession are working very hard, and in the last four years, there's been a lot of good reporting out there. And since the, the pandemic descended on us, there's been a lot of good reporting out there. And frequently, the reporters and the photographers are risking their own health to cover these situations and get the get the information and, and the footage from inside these beleaguered hospitals. And so I just want people to stop and and think about this. They kind of take this news coverage for granted. You know, everyone's willing to thank the grocery store people and the frontline healthcare workers and I think they should also be thanking your local journalist for keeping you informed and doing it to the best of their ability and I would also point out that newsrooms all of them are running understaffed you know I I understand that a, a lot of the papers I used to work for are kind of a shadow of themselves and so they're they're doing the work, they're providing the coverage, and they're doing it under very under very stressful conditions. Yeah. And so I I hope that before anybody flings around words like like uh, 
enemies of the state or fake news that they that they stop and think about what's actually going on out there. And I think that many of us are hoping that the newspapers and the other news organizations, just as we're thinking about restaurants and hoping that they pull through and kind of watching that because they're under the kind of pressures that that other businesses are the kind of financial pressures well yes they are i mean the independent the the small newspapers you know when we hear about the the shrinking of the media they're all they're almost always talking about the big media but the small outlets are are under significant pressure and the independent had to go had to cut hours in half and cut its newspaper in half because all of its customers, all the advertisers were closed. And, and we're not the only one in that situation. I mean, this is, this is happening all over. So nobody, nobody gets a pass in this situation. I mean, they're, they're all under, under tremendous financial pressure. And how did the newspaper respond to the criticism of you? Did they support you? Yeah, I mean that that's one thing about the the independent is I I think it's that's it, it's culture, it's the um it's the character of the newspaper and the publisher. They still do old-fashioned, hard-hitting investigative work. And so we've been challenged before. They have stood behind me every time. The publisher himself he he has a saying that that he tells everybody on the staff this is Bob Zollinger and he says I don't have any friends in this town and he actually does have friends in in town but what he means by that is do your jobs and you know and don't worry about who he's playing golf with mm-hmm. um and he has told that he has told us that many times, and what he tells me pretty regularly is, "Do what you do," and that's that's really unusual in this in this day and age because this kind of coverage um, it's it's intense. It takes a lot of time. Always the possibility of getting sued, either rightly or wrongly, and a lot of a lot of the small papers don't don't want the threat and they don't want the headaches, so they simply aren't doing this kind of work anymore. So you're saying that we're lucky to have that kind of newspaper in New Mexico. Yes, we are. And you know, there there are still there are still a few of the of the smaller papers that, that do this this kind of hard hitting stuff, but not much and not not anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what is, where's the hospital now? What is the status of the hospital? Are they going on? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're actually, I just, I just, um, wrote a piece for Saturday's paper and, and interviewed the interim, the interim CEO is also the chief financial officer and they just hired her. I mean, they just hired her in, in June. I think the poor woman didn't have a chance to even unpack her suitcase before you know, be, before the hospital exploded. But anyhow, she's she's doing a really good job as as interim CEO. And then 
Her name is, is Mary Bevere. And then Val Wangler, who is the chief medical officer, everybody inside says routinely that Val saved the place. She was the glue that was holding the place together as, as oh. things spiraled downward. And so she deserves a lot of credit. And so now the two of them are helping to rebuild and restaff. And when I talked to them last week, they were feeling pretty good about where they're at. And then the COVID numbers have started to come down. Gallup's in better shape. Yeah, and so they they said they have actually been able to eliminate some contract nurses because they now can handle the caseload with the staff that they have. So they're in, they're in good shape, I think. And Gallup is is a unique place. The people who live there love Gallup dearly. I love Gallup dearly too, even though I don't live there. But they'll they'll be okay and. But now the, now the challenge is to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And that's up to the board and that's up to the county. But, you know, having, having been through this, this horrendous ordeal in the last couple of years, I'm going to be optimistic that they'll do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It's a great story. So it's nice to have some good news. <laughs> some news about good things happening. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's uh it, it's been it's been quite an adventure. Um <laughs> and you know, which makes me think that the the crisis isn't just a crisis. I mean, it it happens it happens in one place at a time, in one hospital at a time and you know, and so there are all these individual people pulling and I you know I feel I feel good about that what do you mean the crisis isn't just a crisis you mean it's a series of little crises also well it's like you know it almost it almost sounds like it almost sounds like this huge like this huge thing well it is it is a huge thing but the way we deal with it is one person at a time, one hospital at a time, one doctor at a time, and and the healthcare people, the healthcare people I know have been have been very steady in the in the face of something that we've never seen before. So yeah, yeah, I think that's true, and it's true that we haven't seen before. It's not something that is just like the flu or something. Yeah, it seems to yeah. me. Yeah, well, and it, you know, and and it was it was much much worse in in Gallup. So anyway, anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that story to us, and keep on bringing the stories that you do. It's it's heartening to hear. Well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> as long as as long as I'm blessed with good health, I will keep on keeping on. Good. That's a great story. Well, thank thank you and. I'm glad you're still doing what you do. (laughs) Thanks.